This is Queen's Park in Toronto, and we're on our way to visit King Edward VII. Hundreds of Torontonians pass by him every day without giving him a second thought. Just one more statue of a dead white dude in a park that's full of them. This particular dead white dude traveled 11,000 kilometers to be here, making a narrow escape from a graveyard of colonialism half a world away. Episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast. You King Edward VII Don River Duncan Screedlers. This is Stefan Lee, the podcast studio manager. This week, we've got life of a crap head. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 101 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. On this week's episode, I got the chance to catch up with Amy Lamb and John McCurley from Toronto, a collaborative artist duo who've been making work for 13 years, maybe longer, as Life of a Craphead. I met Amy and John in 2012 at the BAMP Center, and they were, without a doubt, the most incisively funny people there. They've since written, directed, and produced their own movie, 2016's Bugs. They ran a five-year performance series called Door that has been highly influential, in my opinion, in the way that comedy and performance art are presented in conversation with one another. And they've been producing an incredible body of work in sculpture and other media that we get into during this week's conversation. If you're in Montreal, what's up? They've got a solo exhibition at Centre Clark called Entertaining Every Second. Uh, For locals here in Austin, they are part of the Highline Network's New Monuments for New Cities project. There's a current iteration of that at the Waller Creek Conservancy. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Here's my conversation with Life of a Craphead. Amy Lamb, John McCurley, welcome to Humor in the Abject. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi. Hi. How's it, how's it going? It's <laughs> pretty good. Uh, the two of you have been geographically all over the place lately, but are you finally back in Toronto now? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Yep. <laughs> in the last couple of months, yep. we've been to uh, a couple of different cities across Canada. We have a show and it was in Calgary and then it was in Saskatoon. And then last week, we moved it to Montreal. Okay, cool. I was going to ask about that. Okay, so it's the same show that's been kind of moving around, but you're doing different elements that are local to different places? Yeah, yeah. It's like different versions of the same show. So every time we've shown it, we've added something new or... We have a work that kind of always... We add something to every time. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that what I just said? (laughs) No, no, no. We have one work where we add something every time. Oh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, we're going to we're going to get to that. I wanted to start out by kind of laying um a little bit of foundation I guess for listeners about how I first became familiar with your work and that was when we were uh I guess co artists and residents at the BAMP Center like seven years ago now. Um, Holy oh shit. God. Yeah. <laughs> the two of you. That sucks. Uh, you're in residence as your collaborative project that we're talking about today, Life of a Craphead, uh, which you'd been calling yourselves for, I think, like six years at that point. And I remember early on during the experience, everybody had to get together for some kind of general critique of each other's practice or something. And <laughs> oh, God. One of the, and one of the notes that you guys were given was, you should change, change your name. Change your name. And yet, here, and yet here we are in 2019 and life of a craphead lives on. <laughs> I've, I've thought about that moment like semi-recently because really? it was the one time that we were actually like people made us sit down to say like you must change your name. <laughs> I think it, was, it wasn't everybody, and, was it? It was like maybe a small fact. But a small, for- small group of people. But, uh, but I think the name worked, in the, at least in the context where we have been working in the art world, mm-hmm. I think it works it totally works. It's totally good. Oh, I'm, it's totally I'm, good. People like saying it. Yeah, I've only become more of a fan of it. I think when I first, <laughs> really? heard, I think, I think when I first heard it, I thought, okay, like, there's, some, <laughs> there's something about it. There's something about it not being shithead that makes it ten times better. You know yeah. I mean? Oh like my god! If it was shithead, we'd really have to change it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So did, are you? Are you saying that maybe a little bit? You still think we should change the name? Not at all. No, I really like it. Actually. I got that sense a little, a little bit. Yeah, is this no, what this no. podcast is about? It's this is telling us we need to change our name. Humor in the intervention, where I come. Yeah, yeah. Um, would you? I know. I asked you this before, but could you explain for people listening where that name originally came from? Because it was from one of your first performances, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was from the very first performance. So we started collaborating because someone asked me to do a comedy show, to perform at a comedy show. How old were you at the time? In 2006. Um, I don't need to say how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> that was 13 years wow. ago. How was this? <laughs> and, and I had never performed comedy before. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, at all. And then I knew John just like vaguely from seeing a zine of his at a zine fair. And so... I just asked him if he wanted to collaborate, partly because I didn't know what I was going to do. And then Mm -hmm. um, we came up with this comedy routine that we did together that was all um, like punchlines written on signs and no talking. We would just do actions. We would hold Mm -hmm. up the sign and then do an action. Um, And then the very first sign, which was the very first joke, said life of a crap head. And so, unfortunate. I mean, whatever. That's the name. And it's then at cool. the time, there was no like, there was no shape to it. So that was that was that. And then somebody asked us to perform again later that month or something like that. And so we just uh, kept it a second time. And then something happened the next month, and we kept it a third time. And now, thirteen years have gone by. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool. After after. Banff, you went back to Toronto and you started doing this long-running monthly performance uh, in live stream series called Doored that uh, I think you had over the years 120 some people. You did 30 shows. It was five years long. So what, why did you, because you were just talking about sort of getting invited to do this other comedy show several years prior, but why did you take on organizing and producing and hosting this series and just putting yourselves through 30 iterations of something. I mean, it's <laughs> <That's> like <laughs> organizational nightmare. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like running administ- a live stream with, um, oh. with lots of artists. And then the live stream is with VHS equipment that we got that was like manufactured in the eighties that like half the time it doesn't work. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah why? <laughs> uh, well, I think it's, um, it came out of doing that residency and, which was uh, whatever it was, like uh, 12 people or something that had to perform on a regular basis for each other and then yeah. do, like, classes and stuff like that. And that setting was, uh, it seemed like conductive of something and it was fun. And so when we went back to Toronto, a lot of people in that class um, lived there. Yeah. So we just kind of kept rolling with it. And um, I think there's also a desire to like, it just seemed like uh a really tall order. Like if you're going to run a TV show and then at the beginning we, uh, 
anticipated there's going to be 30 episodes. Yeah. Uh, and then we had no idea what how to do it. But by the end of doing it 30 times, like, you'll definitely be somewhere. Like, you'll definitely have learned how to do something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then over the years, it came true. And uh, I think we also wanted to do a show that built a scene around perf- live performance art. Uh, before then I'd been in the comedy, like I'd done stand-up comedy and we'd done comedy shows together and, uh, kind of saw how that world worked. And it's amazing for the fact that there's an audience that's built around, you know, these performers, you can just organize your own show and then like perform all the time and get really good at doing comedy. Mm-hmm. So we kind of wanted to, um, like, use that model for performance art. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, because in Toronto, the venues for being a performance artist, like, the opportunities really aren't that good, right? Like, we have talked about this a lot before, but when we started out, we started out doing live comedy, and then we did more, like, performance stuff that was, you know, in different public locations. So, like, in a restaurant or on the street or on the back of a moving truck or whatever. But in terms of like art organizations giving us money or like giving us invitations to do stuff, it would always be at like this fundraising event, like Mm -hmm. come perform at this fundraising event where it's going to be filled with wasted bankers and you can perform for seven hours and we'll give you a hundred dollars, you know? And it's like, what? Like, and then like one example that we has come back to is one time we were asked to perform on a canoe. (laughs) (laughs) To like an audience of two people. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Like we've got an opportunity for you. Like, will you perform on this canoe (laughs) for, for like two people? Or it's like, perform. (laughs) Like we'll give you $75 or something. I don't don't remember what it was. Or like perform in an art gallery where the audience like don't have seats and they don't know when the performance performance is starting and there's yeah, no yeah, like yeah. sound equipment like all that kind of stuff so Dord was really I think that's changed a bit you know probably n- now I don't know maybe not. I don't think so no I maybe think not. that when people like uh, whatever emerging artists are asked to do stuff there's no like you just got infrastructure yeah. Yeah, yeah so all these exciting things uh, infrastructure uh, building a scene that was all the motivation behind doing it and by the end of uh, four or five years like it took us a year four years to do 30 episodes at first it was every month but then it got too hard um we really figured it out so this show was so smooth it was this very watchable show that yeah, was yeah. fun in the room uh and fun to watch live on your computer yeah so it was like snappy and the hosts and the music and all these different elements really knew their jobs and the tech was super smooth and we got, you know, we got really amazing at it. Um, and that was kind of what we wanted to get out of it. Yeah. Like we didn't get to perform for all those years, but we still got to, uh, like run this operation and like learn how to produce stuff. Yeah. And give other people the opportunity to have that space and have some people kind of the stress level of doing a performance and not feeling like any of that stuff is taken care of is really Mm -hmm. pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty nuts and kind of hard to deal with. So having people who know what they're doing, kind of running it. And also, I guess I'm thinking, as you were explaining, there are all these venues that you can go and do comedy shows and stuff in, but not so much in terms of performance. It is, it is difficult, I think, for people interested in performance because they get so few opportunities that it's also difficult for them to reflect on the performance critically because they put so much time into it and it was kind of like a one-off anyways. And so it's like, what is the, what's the benefit of feedback because you're never going to get to do it again anyway so yeah yeah that's totally it yeah and one of the important parts was that the same artists would perform over and over so there was kind of like a few like core artists who would perform a lot and then they could keep like kind of doing versions of whatever Mm -hmm. they're working on you know and because they perform so much like you're saying they got like totally amazing yeah so they're like spectacular performers and they're so confident and their ideas are so like developed because they've had um, many you know many months of performing to work on it and stuff so all that was totally awesome yeah that's pretty amazing and it was primarily i know that you did it in a 
couple different venues for different purposes, but it was primarily at Double Double Land. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Part of my ignorance, but what is, I don't know what Double Double Land is. And I have gone, <laughs> I, I've only seen it through the live stream. And then I couldn't tell, is it a venue or is yeah. it a warehouse? Yeah. <laughs> <What is> it? <laughs> it's a, it's a venue that's shut down now, shut down last year. Okay. It ran for nine years and for, um, a portion of that, I lived there. There's people living there. And um, it was in Kensington Market in this neighborhood in Florida. <laughs> it's funny because we're here right now. Yeah. We're in double-double <laughs> land. Yeah. Nice. It's, about, it's like studios now. But, okay. Um, yeah, it was just kind of like an, an art space music venue thing that ran for nine years. Okay, cool. That makes more sense. I was always just like, I don't know, do they live there? Or is this like a <laughs> bar? <laughs> I was, oh, I kind of like it's being... both. It's both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to be. It's a confused. bar where people live. The horrible <laughs> truth. Yeah. Um, and you did, in addition to this kind of live broadcast and stuff, you did really great documentation. A ton of it's available on Dord.tv, which is where I've watched shows before while they were happening. Yep. Um, and for a lot of them, especially later ones, there's full video documentation, right, from yeah. the whole show. Yeah, yeah. Um, was it? besides just kind of like getting used to the tech, which you explained and learning how to do those types of things, was there any other motivation for documenting this stuff so thoroughly? Like, did you want yeah. it to live on or have this kind of relic of this time when yeah. these people were honing that craft? I think for us, it was like when we first started working, like in 2006, we would do performances and then we'd have no photos of anything. <laughs> like this is also uh -huh. before like everyone had phones, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. but it'd be like lots of our early stuff, like from 2006 to 2010, there's probably only like four photos literally. Mm -hmm. And they're really mm -hmm. small quality and they can never be printed. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it was more like support for the performance artists, you know, who like, have to rely on documentation a lot yeah. and just kind of and we have this great friend eula who like took all our photos for us and okay. she just did a really good job like they're yeah. great there's so many good photos there's one of i just there's one of bridget Mosier holding like two hot dogs that is just <laughs> yeah. like it's like yeah. it's so christ-like i don't even know or something, <laughs> yeah. but. it doesn't it definitely felt so amazing to like uh, build this setup where people could perform and like, you know, be like a star and then uh, also do their, like do photos for them and also have like a totally um, devoted audience and everything. And then like, just kind of let that happen. And people like, people really loved it. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, it, I mean, I'm just, I'm geeked on it, even though it's in hindsight, just because it is a really exciting thing. I've performed at galleries and stuff before we, you, you know, you kind of ask them, well, do you have a photographer or, or somebody's going to do video documentation? They're like, no. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. okay, but they ask you to do it. Or like, do you have a PA system? They're like, no. No. So I'm, like, <laughs> I'm in New York on the subway with like one of those Fender like PAs that fold into a case. You know, I used to carry it on my head because it didn't hurt as much as the arms. But yeah, I mean, it's just cool to set up a thing like that. And I'm sure that all of those people who are involved in it, valued so much having that documentation to be able to present for any other opportunity that they're doing or just to represent themselves because yeah that's one that in addition to doing all your own tech is this whole it's so stressful when you're going yeah. into mm -hmm. something like that i mean to be fair too there were lots of tech fuck-ups sure, like that was like you know that was like part of the show was just yeah. like every so every show something would be but, fucked up but if there are two people who are claiming responsibility for running the thing and there's a tech fuck up the the amount of stress that that removes from the performer because it's like nope it's these people's fault yeah. is actually huge yeah. yeah then if you're in the middle of it and you're like oh no i'm feeding yeah. back and this thing is happening it's much easier to kind of sort of kind of point to somebody else and everybody knows it's part of the show and it kind of becomes like a foil yeah it's yeah. fine yeah yeah, yeah exactly it's the, end, the show the show is fucked up like by the end <laughs> by the end of the show we we just figured out all these systems and by the end of the show yeah. we'd have two full rehearsals two days of rehearsals really for every show <laughs> yeah or you're gonna screw no way up. yeah like we figured yeah, out yeah. all these numbers that uh you know only someone who's done it 30 we're on a show like this 30 times would ever care about or know but in yeah. order to make it smooth, like you have to do these certain things. Yeah. And the first time we did it, we had no experience at all. And it was so bad 
And this was the only one that my high school drama teacher came to to see in all its like, bitter failure. We were hosting. We're like, okay, like, you know, let's hear it for your first act. And then we announced the first act, and they weren't even in the building. Yeah, that's great. Like, we draw the curtain back, and it's like, uh, like, uh, yeah. I think there were definitely people who came to that first show and never came back. Sure, yeah, like, well, yeah, that's okay. So we definitely but, learned, well, we learned some stuff. Yeah, that was your that was your dress rehearsal for the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. The first one, I think. Uh, well, so you you uh, mentioned it, but currently you've got an exhibition on view in Montreal that you mentioned. Uh, it's at Center Clark. Yep. Is that yeah. okay? And that's entertaining every second, yep. which is an iteration of the show that you've done a few other places, and you're presenting uh, an interdisciplinary selection of new pieces. Can you walk through some of the work? Sure. Um, I know it has a sculpture, some photographic prints a comic strip of sorts among others uh yeah let me know what's in the show well uh maybe we'll start with the title yeah so the title is entertaining every second and it's part it's a taken from a namjoon paik quote which is i'm a poor man from a poor country so i need to be entertaining every second and uh the show is based around um I guess two major pieces that we've been working on for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Both of these pieces kind of came out of this one um, experience that we had, which was we were, so, you know, we've been doing performance arts, site-specific performance mm-hmm. art, and we were invited to make a public artwork for this festival in Kitchener-Waterloo, um, which is like a small town outside of Toronto. And it's okay. like a tech city, you know, they want it to be the Silicon Valley um. of, of Canada. Um, okay. and because we were there, we're like, okay, we have to think of like site specific things, site specific things. And we had this like kind of table at the startup like hub. So we're trying, we're like, maybe we should come up with an app idea. So we're sitting around trying to come mm-hmm. up with an app idea. And then the, you know, there's not very many good app ideas apparently, or I don't know, that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> um, we're sitting around trying to come up with an app idea and the app idea that we came up with that stuck was had this title, which was find the U.S. soldier who killed my grandmother um, or your grandmother. The app was called find the U.S. soldier who killed your grandmother. Yeah, we tried to come up with an app idea and they were all so sucky. And then when we came up with this idea, it was so scary and it was so real mm-hmm. um, and felt like it just felt so scary that. We're like we will have to do this idea. Like this idea is so threatening, and um, it's like it just doesn't seem like it's going to be a fun ride at all. But but it's just better than everything else. It's so shocking, and the reason yeah. why we came up with that idea is because it's totally real and biographical, which is um, that my grandmother was killed by a U.S. soldier mm-hmm. in war, and. Uh, so we came up with this idea that's kind of like a sarcastic joke based on that fact. Um, yeah. Like, it's only speaking about my me. Like, that's not an app that uh, will be top of uh, the list in the app store by mm. any means. Um, well, who knows? Uh, so, yeah, so we came up with that idea. And then it was so, you know, so hot that we kind of put it aside And then we came up with a second idea in that uh, art festival that Amy was talking about, which was um, another thing based on the tech industry. And this is what we ended up making the big sculpture in the show about, which is called Ceilings with Clowns. Uh, It's a sculpture that's a big metal. uh, It's a big metal structure that's high up in the air and it's the ceiling above your head on four metal legs, Mm -hmm. on four legs. And the ceiling, when you look up, it's a checkerboard. And uh, half the panels are glass and half the, half the panels are bamboo. And the idea is that it's the bamboo ceiling and the glass ceiling at the same time. And when you sit, when you stand under it, you experience what it's like to be an Asian woman. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, that's a pretty goofy statement, but it's also totally right. like, it's funny, but it's also real. And yeah. the, 
and the reason why is like just to I guess explain like the glass ceiling is you know most people know about that um and then sure. the bamboo ceiling is something that we um learned about when we were researching the tech industry so it's the same thing okay. for Asian people as the glass ceiling is for women so especially in the tech industry it's it's well documented that like lots of Asian people like East Asian South Asian people are engineers and stuff but there's a very small percentage that make it up into um, leadership levels like CEOs or board members or whatever Um, sure and so we proposed the sculpture for this town that has this big tech industry um, and we're like this is the perfect thing to put here you know, this like speaks to the industry. It speaks to the Asian audience that we were asked to engage. Um, but (laughs) it was also part of it. He prompted us. Yeah. All right. Okay. And, and so, and so when we, um, but then, you know, when we proposed it to the curatorial team who were all white people, they basically Mm. fired us immediately. And (laughs) great. Okay. <laughs> it was really shocking because we had been working with them for like months and months. Like we had been like in this town, like living there, doing research at this weird startup place, you know, like walking around trying to come up with ideas, like all that kind of stuff. Like a proper wait, like a proper residency that you were invited to go yeah, and do. Yeah, like a you know, like is we were like just a, there for a week. Oh, like a research residency or whatever. Sure, but, but yeah. Okay. Um but we got fired immediately and the criticism of our proposal was that <laughs> Um, they said it's not that funny. Was it meant? Was I mean? Sorry. Was it? Were they asking for it to be? Well, that's the part where it's like because <laughs> our name is Life of a Craphead, and we, you know, maybe okay. like the first, you know, right. people are like, oh, they're comedy or something. But the uh-huh. sculpture yeah, itself yeah. is funny because it has this punchline, which is like you can stand under the ceiling and feel what it's yeah, like to be an Asian be- woman, <laughs> which you obviously can't, <laughs> right? Right. And (laughs) do you think it's, it's, I think it's funny on a way that clearly people who think about comedy theoretically understand like why it's funny (laughs) in that kind of panel of people. As you're trying to explain, no, it is funny, but it's, it's funny because like, and they're just, uh, but (laughs) okay. So. So they didn't want So they said it's not that funny. They said that they knew an Asian CEO. Um, and <laughs> come on, it's like, no, what is that? <laughs> like, they know one, <laughs> like, yeah, oh, yeah. my bad, like, I wasn't aware of that guy. <laughs> oh, damn, you're, oh, you're right. Yeah. Well, you guys, you're gonna have to rethink your whole art. Gotcha, better write the New York Times. Yeah. And then their la- oh, one of God. their other criticisms was that it was impossible to build. Which, when you see the photos, it's like, you know, it's basically like a giant table. You know, it's a very simple structure. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. square on four right. legs. Um, it's like a, it's like a stripped down, uh, like jungle gym kind yeah, of climbing thing. Yeah. Like it's, it's a very practical yeah, structure. It's perfectly square. It's, you know, dimensions are perfectly <laughs> normal. Um, so we realized that that has to be part of the sculpture. Like, at first yeah. we were like, oh, we should drag them publicly. Like, we should, like, you know, just drag them. But then it kind of turned uh-huh. into, like, it's better if we can put it into the work. Um, so yeah. what we did was we added these um, sculptures of clowns that go on top of That's the structure. Really <laughs> um, uh-huh. And then... To make yeah, it funny. Exactly. <laughs> so it's the exact same sculpture that we proposed, but now it has these... Uh, you know, enormous, enormous, enormous clowns. clowns, like very colorful, very happy clowns. Very big. Very yeah. big, happy clowns. Yeah, one of them's, they're, they're one big. of them's on roller skates. Yeah. Another one has a balloon. <laughs> yeah. What are they built out of? I saw some process. Uh, they're made out of, um, y'all were making they're made them. out of like hard foam, this hard foam stuff okay. that they make real yeah. like gargoyles out of these days. And then you, you cover okay, it in so this stuff. It's, so it's, it's kind of like fiberglass. Yeah. Cool. On the outside. <laughs> okay, and so they are—they're climbing. Yeah, they're—they're they're, 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 they're there. They're kind of like 
prancing. They're like, they're having fun on top of the ceiling. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of them's doing a headstand. And in the wall didactic for it, you kind of explain this narrative that goes into it, but then you take an extra step about the impossibility to build it, which is that. So, yeah. So to speak to it, not being funny, there's these enormous clones. And then the second part of the <laughs> second part of the joke is, uh, to speak to the fact that it's impossible to build, we build it with kids. We built it with kids. So, so we, we worked with a bunch of um, uh, moms and a couple a couple of children, and they helped us put the panels in. Uh, and we got a really good photo of that. So when we show the work and you see this uh, sculpture, mm-hmm. that's like, this sculpture makes no sense. Like, what is this thing? <laughs> Why are there all these levels? Um, there's also a picture of us mm-hmm. building it with the kids. <laughs> So, um, yeah. Have you heard at all from the people in the panel at all? Do they know about the piece? No, I mean, that's that's I mean, in the past. It literally, <laughs> we literally premiered that show last week. Like, so right. they will find out for sure. Yeah, yeah. they definitely will. Yeah, but that's up to it's them. Like, <laughs> you know, that's their problem. <laughs> I feel like longevity wise, what you're getting out of the materiality of that experience is probably so much richer than had you just been like, these people suck. Like what a more monumental literally way. (laughs) (laughs) And then have it installed publicly. The nice thing about doing it, the nice thing about doing it is it feels really good. And we, when I think about it or when we think about this sculpture, now that it's done, it's like, yeah, like that feels great. Where, Having it like shut down, like having this idea like shut down and shut down for uh, questionable motivation or whatever felt awful. Mm-hmm. Like it felt totally uh, rotten. Mm-hmm. So the fact that um, it has this added narrative and it's like funny and it's also at the expense of uh, adding the story or whatever, it it doesn't feel bad. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like we it feels like we succeeded in some way. Yeah, entirely. Uh, <laughs> and. But immediately preceding this Montreal presentation, so there was an entertaining every second that was at, uh, is it called AKA Artist Yeah, that's in Saskatoon. In Saskatoon? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, so that was an iteration before this. Were there, are there pieces at, um, in Montreal that came from Saskatoon? Yeah. Is, the clown sculpture is yeah. new yeah. for yeah, Montreal. Yeah. So the, so the other piece that comes out of that tech experience that we talked about, like this app idea of, of find the mm-hmm. soldier who killed your grandmother. So at that point we're like, we can't do this. Like we have no idea what it actually is or how to do it. And also it just seems like fucked up in different ways. So we're like, okay, we're not going to make this app, but then that idea transformed into this idea of, um, we're, we're going to find the soldier who killed John's grandmother. So it narrowed in a way. And then mm-hmm. the idea changed so that, um, we narrowed it to, um, the goal of getting a photo of the house of the soldier who killed John's grandmother. Um, and then, so we started doing that research, uh, I guess last year sometime at the, in the beginning of 2019, um, 18. and 2018 in the beginning of 2018. Um, and then in doing that research, like everything just went sideways, like, you know, that research opened up all of this stuff and brought up all of this stuff that we hadn't anticipated like naively hadn't anticipated and then so that project changed into the series mm. of um, drawings and texts that describes the story of trying to do that research and then ultimately being successful but also and the effect like, has on really, everyone involved yeah so before when you're saying that there's a comic in that sh- in the show that's what this ended up being so instead of it being it started out like Amy said as an app and then instead, as we did this research, we felt like so much is happening in trying to learn about this, like trying to even start getting into the idea of doing this. There's so many coincidences and like totally unbelievable story turns. And we're coming up against all this stuff that instead of it being like one tiny little photo, mm-hmm. we have to tell the whole story like it's a movie. Like we have to tell it like it's a documentary. 
but we haven't been, we don't have any cameras. We're not shooting it. Instead, we're going to tell it through drawings. And so when you read this thing, it goes from these kind of, uh, reckless, you know, this reckless idea of having this app that has this shocking, mm-hmm. um, point. We're going to like, we're, you know, we're going to do the shocking piece of art. Yeah. And then it, it kind of follows us through the whole year of, uh, how that changed as it became this real idea. And we, we had to confront, uh, my family and we had to like, yeah. track down these, yeah. uh, 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 the lawyers, there's lawyers from the Vietnam war and we're calling them up on the phone. And there's like just all this research that involves all these other people. And instead of it being so, um, focused on like, seek this thing out and find this person, it became like, here's like this whole world of, um, you know, veterans, and Vietnamese people, and the and us, and uh, the U.S. military, and all these all these different elements, just in trying to find this guy's identity, and then unbelievably, like it's totally hidden information that no one can ever find. But because of the circumstances, we we find the guy. Spoiler alert! And instead of going to him, we find his Instagram page, we find his Facebook page, uh, and it's totally terrifying. Like this guy's uses social media only to post memes Hmm. and his memes are like, they're just so scary. They're like Mm -hmm. uh, anti-immigration, anti-black, pro KKK, anti-indigenous people, um, anti-woman, like, like pro rape, anti me too movement, pro gun. Like um, it's just a a whole other world that we weren't anticipating diving into this project. Yeah. Were you, I mean, uh, as you're telling this, I'm thinking that it would it would seem like the you know I'm in my head I'm thinking that it's going to get to this point where you discover who this person is and it's like oh man it was just this young kid who got forced into yeah. blah 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 yeah. or whatever and then nope yeah nope it's uh, this person is not yeah. this person is uh, one wow. of the one of the, the big motivations for making this work or one of the ways that uh, I think about it. So it doesn't feel so um, exploitative of myself, mm. like to tell something like this and about your family and your, your feelings and stuff like who knew, like it's, it feels awful. But one thing that I think about that makes that's really motivating was that before we started it, this Vietnam war documentary came out on Netflix or on PBS uh, by Ken, by yeah. Ken Burns. <laughs> Yep. He, yeah. Oh, I watched all like 24 yeah. hours of it or whatever last summer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I yeah, I watched the whole and, thing. And um, yeah. in that documentary, that's the story that Ken Burns is telling. He's telling the story about the innocent mm-hmm. teenager who's, who's exactly. tricked yeah. to and go to war. Where, and he mm-hmm. loves his mommy. Or sorry, I don't mean to be so so rude about it. No, he no. loves his mom. No, it's and fine. He, he's I got, mean, that's literally where my brain yeah, went and, that's, and what I wanted that's the story the to be. That's the popular narrative that they tell in mainstream yeah, yeah. movies and in and mm-hmm. like um, the History Network makes documentaries like that and when I listen to podcasts, they tell that story. That's the story of the Vietnam War that is very popular. And With Creedence Clearwater playing in the background. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, always, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, Precisely. yeah, it's like, and, uh, damn. When I saw it, you're when right. I watched that, it made me really mad because there's, it's so one-sided. So just my story, you know, it's never going to be told. And Ken Burns, even though that movie cost $20 million or something like that, like he can't access this kind of story. And that's the story mm-hmm. of um, Vietnamese civilians getting robbed by like AWOL Americans who break into the house as like robbers and they, you know, they kill everybody. And then they get yeah. caught. And then they go to court and, and like that whole narrative of everyone affected by it and everyone's lives that that like wrecks, like Ken Burns can't touch that. He just doesn't even know it exists. So, yeah. Jesus. So now like here we are and like, here's an opportunity to like do something yeah. about that. Man. I mean, and I guess part of the thing is like, in terms of like the impossibility of finding that information, like that's kind of what mm-hmm. makes that original app sentence so shocking. Right. Or that, like when you say that sentence, right. people would kind of be like, Oh my God. And like, you know, have some reaction. Cause it's like, how do you find the U S soldier? Like, how do you, you literally mm-hmm. can't like, 
in terms of the American war in Vietnam in the span of like seven years, there's some, the number is something like two, there's not good record keeping. So it's something like two to three million civilians were killed. And mm-hmm. out of that number of deaths, um, there's only 31 court martials where American soldiers were convicted of murder. So court martials mm-hmm. being instances where soldiers, you know, basically committed a crime outside of war. Like, however, they mm-hmm. make that distinction legally, which is kind of like bullshit anyway. But but yeah. this case of John's grandmother is one of those 31 cases out of potentially three million, you know? So really did you, and you didn't know that before. No, we didn't know anything at all. Yeah. Really? Jesus. We just knew that like there, we, John had heard that there had been a trial and that the soldier had served a couple of years in prison for this robbery and murder and that um, he was still alive somewhere. Oh so those were kind God. of the rumors that we were working with. And he's a fucking, like, crazy yeah. genius. Yeah. So, wow. So, yeah. So then instead of it making this art that was just this, uh, you know, like this revenge feeling of going to this guy's mm-hmm. house in a very intense way, uh, over the year, uh, it kind of changed. So it ended up being about what it's like to try to sort this out and the effect it has on me and my mom and uh, the yeah. relationship that it, it makes with me and my mom. So uh, also in Ken Burns movie, like you don't get, you don't get that stuff, no. you know, like you never, you never get to hear that. And so uh, I was just going to say it sound, I mean, they're apples and oranges, but it sounds like the, the processing of the, the information that you're taking in and then the way that, you two are applying critique or using a critical apparatus to generate something out of those things has gotten incredibly complex. (laughs) I mean, really though, in terms of like the kind of in both scenario, in both of these two pieces, you've kind of talked about this, this preliminary motivation for doing something. And then through that process, how much more nuanced and expansive it's gotten. And I think that the, the residual effects of those pieces are going to be so much grander than just like the first impulse. And there's something patient and really, I think, uh, I mean, it sounds like a cheesy word, but there's something patient and that requires a certain courage to do the things on a longer run Mm -hmm. than to just do the first thing that occurs. And so it's just, I don't know. It's, I, you know, read about these pieces kind of through, the press releases for these things, I obviously haven't seen the shows and it's like the complexities of them are really, I mean, the stories behind them are wild, really fucking crazy stuff. And it's like, I guess what I was going to say is just that it's different than other things we've done before, you know, like generally, especially with, I mean, because this work is so, it just touches on so many real life things, but our previous work has been like, like the comedy, like where our name comes from, you know, where it's like a title and then there's an image or there's a title and then there's maybe a short explanation. And then there's some kind of thing that makes it all funny. Like it all works together. It's a punchline. And then this one was just like totally unexpected, you know? Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of just that even, uh, I guess it would have been less than two years ago, but the, the piece that you all did, the King Edward the seventh, like equestrian, piece yeah floating down the dawn so in that one you made this replica of a 15 foot bronze statue of king edward the seventh on horseback and you uh, threw in the dawn in <laughs> toronto and uh towed it up every sunday and then let it float back down for like a month <laughs> yeah, right? That's right yeah so but even even that i mean that piece is great and you got a lot of uh attention for it and stuff but it seems like that that is this really kind of visceral response to this fucked up monument which if i'm understanding correctly that's that was a monument that monument was originally installed in india that's right as like a colonial monument mm-hmm. and then some guy in toronto heard it was in storage and wanted to put it out yeah. and have it still say that it was the yeah. emperor of india is that right yeah that's totally right yeah the chucking it in the river feels like this natural response like that's what I mean. but, but even but even but even there you're kind of laying some of the foundation for these longer things because it's so much 
conceptually further along than Vandal. <laughs> like, that's that's our thing, Sean. That you that's our thing. To like remake. Yeah, I know. It's like really slow graffiti. <laughs> but like this to make the replica i mean did you like 3d scan yeah. it what do you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean take you to make that was like the first work that actually felt quite new and different for us we'd done uh-huh. you know we we had a period where we just did our our performance show and we made a movie and that took up five years yeah block of five years and then that river project was the first big piece of uh performance art that we did that was kind of just us mm-hmm. in in a long time you mean yeah 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 um i guess in terms of the fabricating part yeah we worked with these fabricators who like made us mini version of it with a barbie horse as the horse and then they 3d scanned it and then it was three like cut with you know cnc out of foam but i but in terms of like the graffiti part like it it isn't graffiti because the thing floats so if you were just to throw the sculpture into the river like it would just sink but in our version, yeah, 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 for yeah. some reason, it floats, <laughs> which does, which I don't yeah. understand. Like, I'm not sure why it floats. We made yeah. it float so it's like the horse's yeah. ass is in the air a little bit. Uh, so it's yeah, not just yeah. like a realistic float, but like a, pra- a practical <laughs> yeah. float. It's kind of like yeah. an editorial float. <laughs> And the other context of that piece that um, probably isn't that apparent to people outside Toronto is that the Don River is this, like, notoriously polluted river. So it's a river that... Okay, yeah, I don't know anything about <laughs> yeah. it. It's a, it's a piece of shit. Yeah, that when, Colo- <laughs> like, when the white people who started Toronto, like, made Toronto, they kind of picked mm-hmm. it as a site for industrial waste. So previous to that, it had been Great. used like, you know, like an, a waterway, like it was full of life and whatever. But yeah. it, it was so polluted by that by the 60s, there was an instance where it was on fire. Like Jesus. It was, it was like there was so, there was so much fire. oil just dumped into the river that it became like a burning, the whole river burned. Yeah. God. <laughs> and and so yeah, so I guess like that kind of answers why it floats cuz it's, you know, like trash floats, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, it's when the water's like so dense with industrial grime and ooze, then a uh, steel sculpture will float. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to yeah. describe that those that those works are still funny. Yeah. Like they have they're funny. But it's like, it's like, I remember a teacher told me once in school something like, because I was getting justifiably uh, criticized for something that I was making. And I was, you know, being like, no, you don't, you just don't get it or something like that. And my teacher said something to me like, well, the thing that you don't understand is that the stuff that you're doing, the stuff that you're making isn't funny, but the institutions that permit like the things that are happening to happen are laughable. You just don't get it. Wait, that. wait, wait. What? Uh, ex- explain that explain that a little bit more okay like 10 15 years ago or something like that like doing edgy stuff yeah like i thought doing edgy stuff was like i was like this is this is really funny because i'm using the means of production to critique them by being edgy yeah. i'm making fun of the the stuff that is offensive yeah, yeah, yeah and i think what my teacher i've thought about it a lot and i think what my teacher was telling me was that i think what i'm doing is funny and it's not mm-hmm. But that the reason that people can make comedy about structures like that is because those structures are laughable. Right. They're not funny. Right. And what oh, they I do see. isn't funny, it's but laughable. they're laughable. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. that wasn't clicking with I me because I wasn't I wasn't even understanding yeah, what yes. I was doing, you know? I was making stupid shit. I think shit. you're right. I think you Yeah, I think they're right. <laughs> but so that's a long way of saying, but I think that that's that's what I mean by the stuff that you're doing is is funny, but not <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. LOL. Well, I think something we realized is uh, one one element to making projects like this that is consistent is that we really think about the audience, and that's from comedy. Mm-hmm. Like because because right, we yeah. started in comedy, and you, I mean, even though the comedy we did a long time ago is kind of like anti-comedy or whatever, you still think about the yeah. audience looking at you. And like what they'll understand or what they won't understand. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, for better, for worse, when we build an idea now, it's still in that kind of mode that it's like, what do they know? Mm. What do they expect? 
and totally that's come from starting on stage. Yeah. So, yeah. so like, that's a great way to describe it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's funny, but it's like, here's what information you give them. Like, you know, it's just like building it, like building mm-hmm. a joke, even though it's not a joke. Wow. Yeah. That's a really cool way to think about it. Actually. That makes a lot of sense <laughs> because I think that people, I think that people who are making studio work and that's the world that they come from. Audience is a really abstract concept. Mm-hmm. That has to do with it's linked into like a market conversation or like who's my audience is just like who are the people that are going to critique my work in class or who's going to come to my opening or something. But very, very different when you come from the world of a place where you are you are held accountable in the moment to the stuff that you're doing based on response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really going to change the way that you make a sculpture. And that's an amazing thing about comedy. Right. It's like it's totally a, a social thing. Like it's totally this relationship of you and these other people that are looking at you. I don't know what else to add to that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Comedy is you and other people that are looking at you. I think that's actually... Well, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember having conversations with people about how frustrating it was to try to make work that was smart and funny or something like that and how the art world didn't want it. And not that, you yeah, know... Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And now... But now it seems like what a, it's like kind of a darling of the art world is like they're into comedy. Like it's oh. like a they're they're cool oh. with it and it's like shows are being curated around it and stuff. And I just wonder if um if that kind of climate where it's become acceptable has has shifted again, like the way that you want to play with people's expectations. Um and if it's not a conscious thing, that's totally fine. But I feel like now that it's now that it's cool and okay, it it becomes kind of not passe, yeah. but I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if it's like cool necessarily, you know, like <laughs> I think it also depends on like what comedy, like that Namjoon paid quote about being yeah. entertaining is like, you know, funny for whom like what, jokes are funny for mm-hmm. different people, obviously. And it's like maybe some things that are funny are cool. But, like, not all things, you know? And, like, us having the sculpture, like, the story of the clowns and stuff is, like, that's a very clear case of it, like, only being funny to a certain type of person, right? Or a certain, a type of person with a certain identity or something, or a certain outlook, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, you know? I don't, yeah. Maybe, um, maybe we don't think about comedy that much. I don't watch comedy videos at home or anything and like i'm not like comedy the form of comedy is like something that i worship like i think we're both very sarcastic and like we use things that are that are funny but it's not like the goal is to make something that's just like funny period it's like you can use you can use irony and, and sarcasm sarcasm and stuff to like make a point or to like make like an aggressive point or like really like hurt somebody like mm-hmm. sarcasm is so cool like <laughs> <laughs> sar- <laughs> you know like that that is what i feel is i'm drawn to or to make an aggressive point that's like couched in this other way like this other thing that makes people like accept it more or something yeah. you know that mm-hmm. that makes it more pleasurable for people to be to to accept the aggression in some way you know what i mean yeah. um yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's just uh, at least for us it's just different ways of communicating like like fig- yeah. like we have something that we want to say and then it's like if you use humor like maybe more people will look at it like more, maybe more people you'll Mm -hmm. get their attention more. And I think that's totally just based on our personalities. Like, um, it's not just like we must make funny art. Like what is funny art going to be? It's like, it's just us. It's just like how we deal with anything. Mm -hmm. I would also, I think most of the art world is pretty humorless. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I simply mean, I simply mean that it's like, maybe not cool is definitely the wrong word, but it's like invoke permissible or even in some cases like, yeah, like invoke, like I'm seeing and I'm probably partially guilty of this, but I'm seeing like, like you were describing earlier, like come to the gallery opening and do a performance at this thing or something like that. Like I started to, I was 
trying to program some of those things because I thought some of the people that were doing comedy were better yeah. performance artists than most of the performance yeah. artists that For I knew. Sure. Um, and then though it kind of turned into it's I've I've heard it called by my friend Nicole Reber like it's just the event economy now it's yeah. just like the thing for right now and then yeah. like it'll be poetry yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in a couple yeah, weeks yeah. or something but it just seems like this thing that seems like okay to slap onto something right. when before it kind of felt huh. I don't think it felt dangerous at all but it just felt like I liked that it was kind of like thought yeah. less of yeah, yeah. or something yeah, yeah. and now that it's like okay it's just sort of like yeah but I like the way that you two are describing the I think quite articulately you're describing the way that it gets, I think, described almost flippantly by people, which is that it is this thing that does allow people to look at something a different way, but that you're also openly celebrating the power of irony and sarcasm because that's something that so many people are concerned now is like only used for meanness. Do you know what I mean? Like that it can only punch in a certain direction. Because people see that in mainstream culture that that's how it's yeah. used, but it can very much be a radical tool. And I think that's that's where that comedy stuff is in your work, besides just knowing that you're yeah. always thinking about your audience, is you kind of, you get yeah. that those yeah. things are yeah. tools. Totally. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, John and Amy, thank you so much for spending some time and talking with me. It was cool to catch up and <laughs> I'm glad that... I'm glad that your clown piece is in Montreal. I wish I could. Just see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you have you were telling me right before we started recording, though, for anybody who's listening in Austin, that you're going to have a that you have a piece yeah. right now, yeah. or it's, it will be very soon in Waller Creek. Yeah. Right? It's a piece that's in our Montreal show. It's one of the works that we made for our um, for this uh, entertaining every second show, but it's going to be an enormous poster that's part of their program, which is 25 artists have these like built like big posters in public parks. Yeah. It's this program um, organized by friends of the High Line that's called new monuments for new cities. So it tours to different, it's going to be in um, Toronto and in New York and I think in Chicago or something. Yeah. But yeah. Do you want us to cool. uh, tell you what it is? Or are we, uh, is this interview? Over is it related to Wikipedia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what it is. You can say what it is if you want to, or we could leave it as a surprise. But I re- Maybe just say the title. I read about the piece. Okay. Yeah, tell the, say the title. The title and, can, is, uh, and then that'll end. Oh my god, I, it's so long. I don't know what it's called. The No, like, the title. title. It's only five words. Well, you say it then. <laughs> the title is Angry Edit of Wikipedia Page. Okay. <laughs> cool. Or is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, should, that should entice people to go. Um, cool. Well, thank you both so much. This has been really awesome to catch up. I'm really excited about. I can't wait to see what you all are doing uh, over the course of the next year. Um, it's cool. been really neat to see, like you said, coming out of doing Bugs, which is the movie that you made previously that you mentioned. Um, I've gotten to see that and <laughs> seeing all the other stuff, but that you have done that you did Dord for so long, and now you really are doing this kind of practice that's driven by what the two of you want to mm-hmm. do. Community's awesome, but it's also pretty cool to like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cool Fuck. to do your own thing. Yeah. What did you just say? No, I didn't say anything. Can you edit that part? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you both so much. This has been a real pleasure. Um, and to everybody out there listening, we'll catch you next Great, week. Cool. You might see me down in Alabama or Baton Rouge down in Louisiana. I might make it up to Detroit City. Where people work hard and life is gritty It don't really matter where I am It's what I do and what I can This whole world has been good to me So I try to give back and I try to be free I was born in Ontario I was born in Ontario
while when things go wrong I might pick up a pen and scribble on a page and Try to make sense of my inner rage One cold winter we went down south With daddy's typewriter for a couple of months But I was born in Ontario Moving on, but I was born in Ontario. 